Observing other people go through traumatic experiences can be very instructive. The wise learn even when fools live out in front of them. Think about the ways when we meditate on Scripture that we meditate on the lives of people and what they went through, like Joseph in the Old Testament, how we watch him and dealing with all of the many events that happened, how he learned to forgive his brothers, like David running from King Saul for umpteen years and the Psalms that he wrote and the attitude that he had, letting the Lord's anointed be the Lord's to deal with. And even like Judas... We're going to observe his grief. You know, we spend a lot of time during the, the Passion reading, really in our minds, feeling poorly about Judas. He's got a nickname, the betrayer. Even the gospel writers call him the betrayer. But Judas was a human being like you and me. He was cut out of the same sinful lumber that you were and that I am. And he is just as loved by the Lord. When Jesus said it would be better for that one if he had not been born, Jesus was not saying, I hate him, but I love the rest of you guys. <laughs> he was saying because of Judas's own lack of faith, it would be better for him if he had not been born. We see Judas now grieving in a way, coming to his senses about everything that's happened or has been happening, what he did. And as, if we look at it closely, there's a lot to learn, and, and that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to go back to the reading, and I'm going to read the first paragraph and start talking about this with you. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said. I, I have betrayed innocent blood. Seized with remorse. Somehow on Tuesday evening when he made that deal, it's the, the, the thrill and the excitement that he was going to get control in this situation and help them find a place to arrest Jesus in private because as a friend of Jesus, he knew where he prayed privately. Because if they arrested him in the court, I mean the temple courts, which they wanted to do a lot, they would have had a riot on their hands because the masses believed he was their Messiah. So they needed someone to help them find him in a private place so they could try him privately and then release all their press releases about how Jesus had spoken against the temple and against Israel and Moses and how he was a traitor to Rome. They needed, they needed that, that edge and Judas provided it and it gave him a thrill. 30 pieces of silver, that's a lot of money in their day. Today it'd be a few hundred dollars. In their day it was several thousand. But now the money stunk to him. It says as they were, they were ushering Jesus away bound. He's been up all night. Judas can see that all these places are in close proximity. But if Judas can see that they're leading Jesus away, then Judas must have stayed around the court at Caiaphas' home just like Peter did. Maybe not in the exact place as Peter warming his hands around the fire, standing at the gateway to the courtyard, but, 
but in the area because he saw them leading Jesus away to be condemned. And to lead him away from their council, they had to lead him over to Pilate's in-town palace, which was the Praetorium, which was uh, at the, in Antonio's castle on the northwest side of the temple courts. Judas knew what they were up to. They wanted, they, they'd been planning for months how they wanted to put Jesus to death. They wanted the Romans to do it, though. The Romans had told them, you can't put anybody to death. Later, when they stoned Stephen, they were breaking Roman law. But they wanted the Romans to put him to death because they didn't want the masses of people to be against them. And so, Judas knew there's no turning back. And the money stunk to him. He betrayed a friend. He betrayed a rabbi that was very popular. How did that guy get arrested? People would tell the story. It would happen. There would be both formal and informal investigations. They would know. He had a friend that was no longer a friend. He was a betrayer. He despised himself. I have to, I have to try to fix it. So he, he runs to those guys that wanted Jesus dead and arrested. And he says, I have sinned and I have betrayed an innocent man. And you know what they said. What is that to us? It's your responsibility. They didn't care. What did he say? I have betrayed an innocent man. Maybe more importantly, what did he not say? He did not say, I have betrayed the Son of Man. Remember when he went up to kiss Jesus in Gethsemane? Are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Remember earlier that night when Jesus gave him the honor, dipped the bread and the, the herbs and spices and gave it to Judas to mark him? Remember when he said the Son of Man will go just as he's supposed to? But woe to that man that betrays the Son of Man. I have betrayed a what? An innocent man. Here's the difference. Judas was remorseful, deeply sorrowful for having betrayed a rabbi. One that happened to be, had been very good to Judas, had been a friend. So if you betrayed a friend or a family member, it would be the same remorse that Judas had, that you would have if, and when, it, when it, you realized what you had done. But the only way for Judas to recover at all would be for him to know and believe that the man that he betrayed was Jesus, the Son of God, who is also the Son of Man. That double way that Jesus identified himself as the Messiah coming to save the world. Remember how Jesus, in the hearing of Judas, had said several times in the last few weeks, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. You're coming with me. I'm going to be handed over to the leaders, and they will hand me over to the Romans, and I will be tortured and crucified, and on the third day I will rise again. Judas heard all of that, but he didn't really believe that was the real story. Heaven's story didn't mean much to him, and now it would be the reason he plummeted into darkness of remorse and self-despising himself. 
He knew by the law of God there was a God. He knew that he had violated God's will. He knew that his name would go down in history, at least as far as he could tell, right? Because he didn't know there'd be 2,000 years of salvation history probably. But, but he knew that his name would go down in history as the betrayer. And he was trying to reverse all that. So he turned the money back in. They wouldn't take it. So he ran from there to the temple court. Remember, there's a big outer court, court of the Gentiles. Then there's a court of the women. And if you get through that, then there's a court of Israel with only men who are bringing the family sacrifice can be led in by the priests. And the priests are in there with a burning altar. Behind that is a, is a stairway about like this, maybe a little taller, okay, of steps. And then into a, a, a door, you know, big doors, you open them up into the holy place. And behind that's the holy of holies. And he gets into the court of Israel. How? past the priest, bag of silver, hurls it on the steps. Here, God, here's your money back. I'm sorry. Making it up to God. Silence. The only thing he can remember is that is your responsibility. Nobody's there to take his guilt away. There is no grace because he's rejected the Son of Man. Doesn't believe he's the grace giver. It's all about the earthly story, not the heavenly story. Now, which is worse? To betray Jesus, a dear friend, so that you turn him over? Or to stand outside the court where they're going to condemn him to death and you're asked three times if you are his friend and because you don't want to be arrested with him, you vehemently deny that you're his friend and you leave him hanging there. Even calling down curses on yourself if you're lying. If I'm lying, God damn me, I am not his friend. Is that better than betraying him? I mean, why didn't Jesus say of Peter, it would be better for him if he hadn't been born? It wasn't because the sin was worse. Judah's sin wasn't because sin, Peter's was better. It was because Peter, by the grace of God, believed Jesus was a Savior. And he went out and wept bitterly. Grace of God. Didn't create that faith on his own. That little toenail of faith hanging on. Not Judas, not one shred. What's there left to do? You're going to face in your lifetime, the rest of your lifetime, you're going to be known as the traitor. This great man, this miracle worker who raised the dead and healed the sick and loved people, fed thousands of people. How did he get arrested? That guy, that one of the 12, he did it. Did you uh, hear recently in the news about the fellow that was indicted for sex trafficking? And he just went out and killed himself rather than face the public humiliation in the trials. Even a friend of a friend in our family group in, from Pflugerville went out and killed herself at their ranch a couple of years ago because she had got caught embezzling and didn't want to go through the trials. Or what was it in their hearts that they didn't leave a note to tell us? Was it punitive? I don't deserve to live. I'll punish myself. 
Or was it escaping like I intimated? Or was it both? I'll punish myself so nobody else can, but then I won't have to live through the ruthlessness of public shame. Regardless, it's all me-centered. It's all me-savior. It's all me with my stupid idea to self-destruct to try to fix what, is, what cannot be fixed except by the cross. You know, Jesus' love was big enough for him to forgive the guys nailing the spikes in his hands. His forgiveness was big enough to forgive the ones that flogged him mercilessly, laughing, spewing spit, and being drunk, and beating him over the head with a cane, and beating the thorns into his scalp. His love was big enough to forgive them. It was big enough to forgive Peter for denying him, Pilate for sentencing him and washing his hands when no, he couldn't because he had to give the sentence. It was big enough to forgive everyone, including Judas. Now, what Jesus meant when he said it would be better for him if he hadn't been born was because he knew Judas had rejected grace and forgiveness. When you, when you observe his grief and you observe how he handles it, you learn what not to be. Don't, you're going to be a sinner. If it's not betrayal or denying, it's something. You're a failure. So am I. But don't reject the mercy and the grace of the Christ who went to the cross for us. That is your salvation. That is your only hope. And it is a hope. And it was Judas' hope, but he left it on the table. And you observe his grief. It's a self-inflicted grief. Because it was a grief without peace in the gospel. Peter held on and Jesus came and told him about his grace. So there's Peter preaching at Pentecost. 3,000 people got converted. There had to be more standing there, right? You killed the Christ! And God made him Lord by raising him from the dead. People were cut to the heart. What do we do? Well, Peter knows what to do. <laughs> Repent. Remember, went out and wept bitterly? Repentance is not just sorrow. That was Judas. Repentance is sorrow and faith. Repent and believe in Christ and come and get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember what they said? This is blood be upon us and upon our children. This promise is for you and for your children. You might say, it doesn't say it in Acts, but he that you called down curses on. This blood is to cover them too. He's a gracious God. He's forgiven me, Peter, of all people. It could have been Judas. Peter, did you really deny knowing Jesus three times? Oh, yeah. No excuses. No blame. No lists on, and quickly, you know, the person that's asking them the question. But you've done it too. None of that. 
You know why? Because Peter believes in grace. Why did I just say that? Because one of the marks of you truly believing in grace is that you're humble enough to admit when you're wrong. And you're not going to deny it, blame it, excuse it, stuff it, hide it, or try to counterattack the other person. Instead, you're just going to say, yes, that I'm the one. Because you believe in grace. You're forgiven by the Savior that died for you. And because you're forgiven, you can even face the shame, as hard as it is, of admitting, yes, I'm the one. So that you would have the grace. And you can even tell others about that grace. Old Testament example, David. Adultery with Bathsheba and then making sure her husband was murdered. In my human, and I didn't say God's, my human estimation, that's worse than betrayal. Turning somebody over. Nathan comes to him and he confronts him and and, and David repents. And then David writes Psalm 51. And this is what he says. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. My first thought is, I thought you sinned against Bathsheba and especially against Uriah and his family, right? You and you only. Deep repentance recognizes that any sin against anyone is a deep rejection of the Creator, the author of all things. Judas didn't even come that far, did he? David did. I've sinned only against you. Surely I was sinful from birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I have got this disease. It makes me sin. You desire truth in the inner person. Purge me with your blood, your hyssop. Cleanse me of my sin. And here's what David says in Psalm 51. And then... I will teach sinners your way and lead them back to you. Like Peter led sinners back to God. Like Judas could have and like you can if you will believe in the gospel. And you do. Sinner that you are, you can lead people back to Christ because you're leading them to the Savior that you have. And you can learn all of this from watching Judas, who just kept getting it wrong. Amen.